Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Family Church. Thanks for coming to the 8 o'clock. Uh, I want to uh, put on your radar our Christmas service times. We have Christmas services uh, starting tonight. Christmas in Baldwin, 5 p.m. tonight at the PAC there by Baldwin High School. This is a family-style service, uh, so I uh, would love to see you there. And uh, we're going to have the service together, a family-style service, and then lots of fun activities for the whole family, lots of fun for the kids uh, that's 5 p.m. tonight. And then next weekend, Christmas at Family Church, uh, we have four identical services to choose from. We want to make uh, sure we have room for you and your loved ones, your neighbors, your family. Two services on Saturday night, 4.30 and 6, and then two services on Sunday morning, no 8 o'clock next Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11. Uh, family kids offer to every service, uh, but it'll be a Christmas service, Christmas carols, Christmas message from Pastor Curtis, a candlelight ending Uh, So uh, make room next weekend, and we will provide a space to celebrate Jesus and the birth of Jesus, our Savior, uh, Christmas at Family Church next weekend. Uh, Well, today we're going to read the Christmas story, Um, and here's what I know. Some of you are ready for Christmas. You've done your shopping. The elf is doing his tricks. You are anticipating the Christmas holiday with a lot of joy and expectancy. And then some of you this morning, you are, you're not ready for Christmas. In fact, The holidays are hard, they're challenging, they're difficult, and um, you're kind of hoping to just get through it. That's the reality that the holiday brings. And uh, this is what I know. We are connected to a sovereign God, a sovereign God, and what that means is that God is in charge. It doesn't mean that there will never be any storms. It doesn't mean that there will never be any challenges. In fact, this is what I know about storms of life. Some of you are in a storm right now. Some of you have came through a storm in 2023. Some of you are headed into a storm in 2024. But despite the storms, despite the shaking, the upheaval, the chaos that may occur in your life, God is still sovereign. And in the Christmas story, we're going to see that there was a lot of shaking. There was a lot of upheaval. But God was still sovereign. He was still in charge. And there's actually an invitation in the Christmas story. And this is the invitation in the Christmas story, it's the, it's the invitation to trust the story that God is writing. It's an invitation to put your trust not in the circumstances that you see, but in a God who loves you and a God who he is in control. Now, God does give men and women choices and God does give people agency. And that means that we live on a broken world, but it doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. And see this invitation that God gives us to trust the story. Luke chapter 2, in those days. Can you say that with me? Say, in those days. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I made it through, Quirinius. Last night, we were in bed, and Lauren's like, are you nervous about the message tomorrow? And I said, I'm only nervous about saying Quirinius's name. And if I can pronounce it, I think the rest of it's going to go okay. 
Verse three, and everyone went to their own town to register. Verse four, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Now, if you know anything about ancient Israel, this is about as far apart as you can be while still living in ancient Israel. It's about 70 or 80 miles. It's a four-day journey that they're gonna have to take from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He went there, verse five, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That must have been quite a sight. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. This is what you're going to look for. You're going to find a baby. You will find a baby in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments we share. Lord, we ask that you will speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Lord, have your way in this place and help us to see with fresh eyes what you have for us from your Christmas story. And let us make it our Christmas story. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. In those days. That's actually the title of this message, In Those Days. Are you up for a little history lesson to know what was going on in those days? Two of you like history and you're excited about this. This is what was going on in those days. The context, the Roman Republic was the political power of the world. And in 44 BC, these are the years, the decades leading up to the Christmas story, Julius Caesar is assassinated. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated by the Senate, right, in this bloody political violent affair, he does not have a son that is the heir to the throne, but he does have a, a, a nephew, And in his will, he wanted his nephew to become the next leader of the Roman Republic. And that person's name was Gaius Octavius. He was adopted in his will. And upon his death, which uh, Julius Caesar's death came unexpectedly to him, it puts the Roman Republic into a little bit of political upheaval. But ultimately, Gaius Octavius does become the ruler, and he changes his name to Octavian. And you can imagine, Octavian becomes the ruler, and he knows what just happened to his uncle, and he's a little bit worried that it's going to happen to him as well. In fact, there's still political opponents that have no interest in him being the ruler. So what does Octavian do? Octavian makes some decisions that I need to protect myself from the political chaos and the political violence that is so rampant in Rome right now. And so he says... um, I'm going to put some people around me to protect me. I'm going to need some allies, and Octavian was a political mastermind. And so he partners up with a couple guys. One of them is named Mark Antony, and the other is named Lapidus. And the three of these guys, Octavian, Mark Antony, and Lapidus, they form a triumvirate, and they are the three leaders of the Roman Republic. And Mark Antony actually marries Octavian's sister, Octavia. And uh, you have three Uh, guys that are ruling Rome together with egos, like what could possibly go wrong? So Mark Antony, uh, he gets a divorce from Octavia uh, because he falls in love with, does anyone know, 
for, for 600 on Double Jeopardy. Queen Cleopatra. Falls in love with Cleopatra from Egypt. And so now at family Christmas uh, in the palace in Rome, you have a, you have a, sp- a spurned uh, ex-sister-in-law and you have some awkward conversations around uh, the dinner table. I I'm so surprised this, this, uh, this power arrangement didn't, didn't work out. <laughs> well, there's violence and there's more political upheaval and there's more backstabbing. And in uh, uh, Octavia, he, he, kicks, uh, he kicks Lapidus out of the group. And Mark Antony and Cleopatra, they have people coming for them. And ultimately, they take their own lives at the end. And you have uh, a lot of violence, a lot of political upheaval. And Octavia, he gets a stronghold on the power in Rome And in 27 BC, the Senate in Rome gives him the title Augustus. And he becomes the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And Augustus becomes the most powerful person in the history of the world at that point. And from that moment on, Augustus says, I'm going to expand the Roman Empire. And he goes around the Mediterranean. He goes into Europe. He goes into North Africa. He goes throughout the Middle East. And Augustus is the most powerful man in the world. And uh, throughout this time, there's civil war and there's fighting and he's expanding Rome. And about 4 BC, Caesar Augustus issues a decree in those days. And those days of assassinations and those days of family splits and those days of political upheaval and backstabbing and violence and world conquering and civil wars in those days, Caesar Augustus issues a decree. In those days, the most powerful man in the world issues a non-contested executive order that everybody is forced to comply with, whether they want to or not. And this is the beginning of the Christmas story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. What kind of days are you living in right now? In December 2023, what are your days like? Is there some shaking? Is there some upheaval? Is there some turmoil? Do you feel unsettled at times? What I love about the Christmas story is that in the midst of extreme upheaval, God was on the move in those days. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And what happened thousands of miles away in the small town of Nazareth as a couple, Mary and Joseph, they're engaged to be married. And tell as old as time, she's pregnant and I didn't do it. In those days, in those days. And because Caesar Augustus issued a decree in those days, Mary has to do what every woman in her last trimester of pregnancy wants to do, take a cross-country trip and travel four days in those days. So they take the 70-mile, four-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and they find out there's no room for them in the inn. Now, I want to give you some cultural context of the Christmas story that I really think is going to turn the light bulb on for you in a new, fresh way. Here's the cultural context. I'm talking about the ancient Judaism context that we sometimes miss living in the United States a couple thousand years later. But in the Jewish culture, uh, you were very close with your family. In fact, you spent every night from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. sitting around a campfire, hearing stories and talking with your relatives, with your parents, with your grandparents, with your aunts and uncles, with your cousins, and also with some neighbors. But the reality is you were often related to your neighbors. In fact, it's actually interesting that Joseph moved about as far away as he could from Bethlehem, where he would have had so many relatives. And so we read the Christmas story as they're, they're on their fourth day, and they're coming in on the camel, 
and it's just about to get dark. The dusk is settling in Bethlehem and they see a little motel and the motel has the vacancy sign on. And just as they are walking up, the innkeeper comes out and turns on the no in front of the no vacancy sign and they're stuck out in the cold. But because it's a teen pregnancy, the the motel owner has a little bit of sympathy on him and says, hey, I do have a little room back here by the animals. And that's the way that we picture the story. But in actual, it probably looked more like this. Joseph shows up to his cousin's house because Joseph would have had a lot of relatives, a lot of family in Bethlehem. And he says, hey, it's me. And oh yeah, you're Joseph. Yeah, you're, you're so-and-so's cousin. You're, you're, you're so-and-so's nephew. And he says, hey, we, we're here. We, you know, we have to be here. We have to register. We have to pay the tax. And uh, they see... Well, they see Mary who's pregnant and they's like, well, this, this isn't right. And his relatives start the little gossip and the little chatter. And the room that, that Luke uses, Luke, the, the root word, the Hebrew word, it, it's guest room is the word. And so it doesn't really read like there's no room for them at the motel. It says there's no room for them at the guest room. And so the way that this probably played out, the cultural ancient Judaism context is the relatives are looking at Mary and said, well, that isn't right. And I don't want to have any part of that, so you're going to have to go out back. Do you have any broken family dynamics? Do you have any broken family relationships that are challenging to be with around the holidays? Because that's exactly what the first Christmas had in store for Mary and Joseph. Family and relatives that are giving them the cold shoulder because of the situation that they're in. In those days. In those days. The Jews were known for their extraordinary hospitality to their fellow Jews, and yet there is the cold shoulder. There's no hospitality extended here in those days. Do you see the turmoil? Do you see the uncertainty that is framing the first Christmas story? And it's a story about peace and it's a story about joy. And yet there's so much upheaval. There's so much violence. There's so much turmoil. There's so much shaking. There's so much unsettled in the first Christmas story. I heard someone say the other day as I was chatting with them how painful the holidays were for them. In fact, they said this. They said, the last five Christmases have been so hard, I don't even have any reason to celebrate the holidays. He was referring to his mom passed away. He was raised by his mom. And his mom passed away five years ago. And he said, ever since my mom passed away, there's such a void. Her absence is so felt in the room on Christmas morning. The holidays are so painful for me that she's not there anymore. And she said, the only reason I even celebrated at all is because of my kids. In those days. In those days, God showed up. In those days, God showed himself as sovereign and as powerful. And I want to I ask you about what days are you living in? And where are you at in this story? See, I, ter- I told you the story about the Roman Empire and what was happening in Rome in those days. I told you the story about Mary and Joseph and what was happening in their life in those days. Now, what about, what about you? Where are you in the story? Or in other words, how can you make the Christmas story your story? Where do you fit in? Did you know that you're in the story? Did you see it the first time we read the text? Let me show you where you're at in the story. Let's go to verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, can you put verse 14 on the screen? Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest heaven. And here's where you're at in the story. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And that's you. God's favor rests on you. Because God in control 
said, I'm giving my son for you. I'm sending my son to you. Emmanuel, God with us. And whether you feel like it or not, God's favor is on you. And God says that I want there to be joy and I want there to be peace. In fact, that is why I'm sending my son to bring joy and peace. Because God's favor rests on you. An announcement made to you that God is bringing peace. And and, and this is what we see in the first Christmas story, that men may make decrees, men are going to make decisions, but God is going to decide history. And he is sovereign. And in fact, I love the way that Paul talks about the timing of the Christmas story, because the truth is this, Augustus means exalted. And Caesar Augustus, he thought that he was in control, but he wasn't. He had some agency, he was making a decision, but who was ultimately in control? I want to show you what Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, but when the right time came, you see who was really in control of timing? But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. Do you see the Christmas story? Do you see the story that God is writing? And how you fit into the story? Here's the reality. God's timing is often not my timing. In fact, I think if you were to ask Mary about the circumstances of that first Christmas, Mary doesn't see the whole story. Mary doesn't see the whole picture. She knows one part of the story, but she has to trust the story. And that's exactly what God has an invitation for us today, to trust the story that he's writing, to trust the story that he is in control. God's timing is often not my timing. And the quickest way to lose your peace, the quickest way to be frustrated is when you think, why aren't things going my way? As if your way is the only possible right way. Which is why it takes trust. To trust the story that God is writing. And since God's timing is often not my timing, so often we don't see how things are going to work out. Looking forward, looking to the future, it seems like things are not going the way they should. But have you ever noticed that when you look back, you can see how God's timing was right all along? So usually God isn't early, but God's never late. And then it's only in the benefit of hindsight that can we see how God was working things out. See, man's plan, Caesar's plan was to tax us, and God's plan was to cancel our debt. The decree of man said, you are going to pay up. And God said, I have a plan to pay it all for you. See, men may make decrees, but God decides history because the storm, it doesn't last forever. So what's the application? What does this mean for you? It means that you have to make the Christmas story your story. If the Christmas story is just something the kids read, if it's just like this once upon a time, it feels a little bit like a fairy tale. They even have the cartoons about it. We, we just see it. We just see the picture of it. On the, if it's just something, then you're going to stay inside that place where you feel the pressure and you feel the worry and you feel the anxiety and you feel like I'm about to crater or implode if it's just the Christmas story. But if it's your Christmas story, because the invitation to you is the exact same invitation that Mary had, that Joseph had. It's to trust the story that God is writing. It's to put your trust in Jesus and not our own circumstances, not our own plan, but in his then, then all of a sudden you start to have that joy that they were singing about. And you start to have the peace that they were singing about. It has to move past being just the Christmas story to being your 
Christmas story. And we have the advantage that Mary and Joseph didn't have. We have the advantage of hindsight. See, Mary didn't know that thousands of years later, she was going to be a part of nativity scenes all around the world, including 89 nativities at my mom's house. She didn't know that. She didn't know the whole story. She just had one piece of the story, but at the same time, what did she, she trusted the story. And the Christmas story is this. It's that you can have supernatural confidence from the Holy Spirit of confidence in the chaos and peace in the storm. Because I promise you that Mary and Joseph felt chaos. They felt the storm. But when they chose to trust the story, they had God's peace in spite of the storm. See, if I offered you, (laughs) those of you that are in the middle of a storm, if I offered you a wise quote or a Christmas lyric or a platitude, you wouldn't buy it. You would say, hey, that's great, and I appreciate your, your attempt to encourage us and make us happy and cheerful and merry and bright, but I need more than that right now. And that's what I'm offering you. It's more than that. It's, it's, it's what Mary had to trust the story. It's what Joseph did. He trusted the story. And that's the same invitation that God has to, to trust the story. And as, and as I close, I just want to give you, I just want to give you one more application that I think is is what someone needs to hear this morning. If you're like, how do I do that? How do I trust the story? What, what does that even look like? That sounds a little bit cliche. If you look at the Christmas story, uh, it almost breaks out into a musical because five different times people are singing. Mary sings, Elizabeth sings, Zachariah sings, the angels sing, the shepherds sing. And it's almost as if uh, the scripture is telling us when you feel the pressure, when you feel the fear, when you feel the weight, what if you just chose to to sing a song of praise, a Christmas carol about the glory of God. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do this holiday season is uh, next time I'm in the radio, I'm gonna sing along with the Christmas song. I can't wait to to worship God with, with singing because there's something about singing and glorifying the name of God and singing his praises that all of a sudden that fear and that storm, it well, it starts to settle down, doesn't it? Because we're focused on God and how big and great and how mighty and awesome and see this is normally the part of the sermon where I start talking more loudly because I got to bring it home but I'm not going to do that today because uh, Michelle Hutchinson is going to come up and she's going to tell her story of what it looked like for her to to trust the story so Michelle go ahead and come on up and share a little bit this morning as as we close out service I am truly full of joy and happy to be up here speaking, sharing, and telling you how good our amazing God is. One thing I've learned is that when I share what God has done, it's not about me. It is about him. He is our reason, and he's why I'm here. Six years ago, on December 13th, 2017, I was in a really dark place, and this is something I had wrote in my journal that day. Right now, I feel the place I was at before seems a lot more comfortable than where I am right now. Deliver me from this place of being paralyzed. I wrote that four days after my husband's truck had went off a bridge and he had lost his life. I was in the thick of planning a funeral, picking out a casket, 
making decisions that I couldn't even process, realizing I was a widow. Combined, we had three children. I was in a constant fog of tears, wailing, and even anger. Our son, Maverick, was six years old at the time. I can only imagine how much his heart was hurting with the loss of his earthly father and seeing his mom in a constant state of tears. On this day, as I was sitting at the table, tears overcame me once again, and I laid my head into my arms and started crying once again. Maverick, six-year-old Maverick, slammed his hand on the table and said, stop crying, he's in a better place. It's actually not fair. Dad can do whatever he wants, and we're just here. In Matthew 18, verses 2 through 4, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This verse says, become like little children. Faith of a child, not jaded, not doubting, just full-hearted faith and belief in God. Have you ever had someone else's faith pull you through because you didn't have enough yourself? That was me at this point. Four days after losing my husband, I was completely lost. I was in a wilderness of grief and anger. And I can say this now, even though I couldn't feel it then, that God was in that wilderness with me. He never left me. Maverick's childlike faith was speaking into my soul, even though my flesh was in emotional agony. I could go on and on about the days leading up to Christmas, how very difficult all of the firsts were without my husband here. But instead, I am pulled to deliver hope to you all. And to do that, I have to share some of the hard stuff. I was completely isolating myself. Although I had so many people reaching out, bringing food, praying, my church family was praying for us, trying to help in any way they could. I was miserable and not accepting it. I was a hard person to be around. I was angry at God. I asked him why. I wanted answers. I wanted to understand. I was still digging into my Bible and writing like I had always done before, but this time the writings were much more raw, vulnerable, and deep. There was nothing surface level. It was like my skin was ripped off and my true insides were exposed. My heart was shattered into pieces, and there I was, exposed, messy, broken. During this season of intense grief, I was regularly searching for and reading books from other Christian widows about their experiences. I wanted to know how they went on. I wanted to know their why. And at the same time, I also started having deer encounters, or significant deer encounters. One was when I finally got back to running. I ran out to the gravel road bridge that my husband's truck had went off of. As I approached the bridge, I felt like I was going to lose my breath and my footing, like there was a weight crushing on me as I got closer. And suddenly, there was a deer in the field beside me. I stopped, stared at them. They stared back at me. I was able to breathe and exhale. It was a pause, but I was able to continue over that bridge. 
Another encounter was some days before Christmas. My daughter, Alex, Maverick, and I were in the car driving on a gravel road. For no reason at all, one of us started crying, and then we were all crying in the car together. I came to a stop on this gravel road because I was crying so hard I couldn't see. And suddenly, there was a deer crossing in front of me slowly, and then another one, and another one, and another one. And this continued. And the kids and I just started counting them as they crossed in front of us. And we were just paused and mesmerized. A third encounter was after Christmas, approaching the new year. I was in Colorado in a remote cabin. Every early and foggy morning there, I would go into the backyard and journal. Every single morning, there was the same deer that would be out there in the valley of the mountain and just stare at me and I would stare at it. So I'd mentioned I was reading these books by Christian widows. The last day in Colorado, as I was reading one of those books, these words were put in front of me from a book. Aren't you amazed, Michelle, that I see you, I know you, and I know you were comforted by seeing those deer so close? Did you think that your grief that causes you to separate from others hides you from me? No, I see you. I am beside you as your eyes search. I know what warms your soul. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I love the worship song by Big Daddy Weave called All Things New. Part of the lyrics say, I've heard you can take what's broken and make it whole again. Well, here's the pieces of my heart. What can you do with them? Because I can't hold them all together anymore. So I let them fall, surrendered to the floor. You make all things new. God of mercy and love, do what only you can do and make all things new. Only you can take such beauty from the depths of all my pain. Only you can take this shattered heart and make it beat again. You hold us all together in your hands. I surrender all I have and all I am. Six years later, after walking through a loss, I would never wish on anyone. I can say it was a privilege to have been so broken because I would never have known God like I do now without it. It has taught me to lean into the pain. When I cried out to Jesus, he was with me. He can and did put the pieces together in a whole new way. I am not the same as I was before, except that I still believe his way is better, his story is better. So I don't know what season you're in or what you are walking through, but please hold on to the hope that Jesus brings us all. Cling to the one who holds you, sees you, knows you, and loves you more than anything.